Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tim, how are you, mate? I'm all right, thank you. Good man. Are you coming on video as well, or are you just going to stick on the audio for this chat? Am I not on video? Hang on, let me get that going. Whoops. No worries. Hey, hey. There you are. You're all working. Um, I'm thrilled that we're finally doing this. It seems like we've been talking about doing it for forever. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I think. It's taken a global <laughs> pandemic for us to get in the same room. The same virtual room, yeah. Are you still in Devon? I am indeed, yeah. yeah that's my home. So you grew up down there, right? I grew up down here and, um, well, I was I, grew, I was born in uh, in Essex, in Hornchurch. And uh, my parents moved down here when I was about seven or eight, I think it was. And um, so, yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, went to school here and... Uh, you know, generally spent most of my teenage, ill spent teenage years down here, and then moved up to London when I was uh, in seventy six. Were moved back, down, moved back down here again five years ago. Were they ill spent the teenage years? I imagine Devon is actually just quite like a, you know, a, a trouble free environment for a child, kind of rural and fairly well, no, simplistic. No, nowhere's trouble free for a child. It's the, the children are the problem, not the environment. Yeah. Very true. No, of course you get up to your normal, you know, normal problems that all kids get up to everywhere. Of course. Was it a happy childhood? Were you a happy kid? Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> My happy adult. I don't know. <laughs> Difficult question to answer, isn't it? Who knows what happiness is? Yeah, I think I've enjoyed my. I think I enjoyed. Generally enjoyed. I always generally enjoy life, but I'm not. You know, I don't, I'm not. You know, life is. Uh, Life is comprised of light, light and shade, um, and uh, you know if you only got one side, you, you're missing something out on the other side. So, uh, you know the idea of, a, of pure happiness is not something I, I kind of understand. Have you ever, in all your years, experienced moments of pure joy and happiness, where it was just that was the only emotion in the room at that time? Um, I, I'm sure I have, you know, I'm sure if I have, it was fleeting, you know, it's not something, uh, not something you would kind of like, uh, cling on to. Otherwise you're in trouble. Have you, have I, have I experienced pure misery? Yeah, that too. 
Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't like cling on to that either. You don't like to cling on to that either? I don't cling on to anything, no. What about relationships? People? Well, you know, I'm, uh, I, I cling on to my very close friends, yeah. Hold, you know, I'm very, uh, my relationship uh, now and my partner is very important to me. And, uh, and uh, you know, probably the most important thing in my life. Other people are important to me, yeah. I'd like to, I think, discuss to begin with, this might sound like a crass question, and apologies if it does, but obviously your stage name, TV Smith, first band, The Adverts, first solo album, Channel 5. Um, it seems like from the very beginning, there's always been a fascination with the mass media in your work, um, the perhaps negative effects on society, on the human race. Um, I was listening to your latest album earlier, Lockdown Holiday, loved it. And, you know, there's a lot of exploration. It's not just a pandemic like COVID album, but it's about, you know, the human race, humanity, where we're at now. Um, I'd love for you to shed some light on that to begin with, first of all, where that interest began and how you see in your life over the course of, you know, perhaps the evolution of TV into now the internet, I guess TV plays a part still as well, but the kind of effects that you've seen mass media have on us? Well, the basic problem, of course, is that um, as soon as you get into mass media, you're being influenced from by something outside of yourself. So, um, you know, friendships and uh, other people it's a debate it's a, it's it's something that you exchange between yourselves and you make up your own mind mass media is an assault it's something that uh, is forced upon you um, without your participation you know and it's up to you whether you can resist it and resist the blandishments of it or not and uh so i was i was kind of aware at an early age that um that this was something like imposing on my life and on my consciousness and what I believed and what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, so that was partly the reason for calling the band the adverts, you know, as a kind of like criticism or, you know, a comment on that and making my own stage name TV when, you know, it's, there is no V, it's just Tim, you know, was also part of buying into that uh, that whole idea. And it, and it is, it is something that, that still fascinates me and you know even even more so now than than back in the old days when it was just a you know two two or three channels on television you know now the mass media assaults you in from many angles and in many ways and in in much more kind of subtle and pernicious ways than it than it did back then um and you see even more in uh you know over the last year when you know we've we've been denied the you know, quite rightly denied the the ability to uh, to meet up and and uh, you know engage with each other, and uh, which has left the kind of media a free reign to and uh, to to um, kind of attempt to influence us. You know, we're only hearing you know all we're hearing is the government through through the television and through uh, social media kind of. Um, opinions and ideas that uh, that we don't have, we we can't respond to. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how it's advanced and and just accelerated at such an you know an unprecedented speed with the advent of the internet and particularly with social media. Like as you say, back in you know the the time when you were coming of age and even when I was coming of age, like I didn't have the internet in my life till I was like eighteen, nineteen. So I remember a complete life without it and. There was five channels when I was a kid, and that was it. I didn't have cable. I didn't have Sky. And the thing was then is you could you could quite easily escape the bombardment. Um, now it seems like you can't. I mean, you can, obviously, if you don't have a cell phone and you just, you know, that's in your pocket or out of sight, you can live without that bombardment. But if you do have a phone and you've got all the apps on there, and even when you're just out in public, it's almost impossible in today's world, isn't it, to avoid the barrage of messaging, be it, you know, subliminal or confrontational or a mixture of the two. Amazing the way it's, it's sneaked in, yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was, well, you mentioned Channel 5 earlier, the, my first solo album. At that point, you know, I was 
you know, a few years into my into being a professional musician, and there was only four channels. So the idea of Channel Five was a witty kind of like comment on the on the what what if there was another one, you know? And uh, now, of course, there's five hundred, and then they were they're all rubbish. And you know, there is nothing any good on telly. You know, in my opinion, it's it's uh, almost all ninety nine percent complete rubbish. Um, made you know that we are being fed and to the idea that people are sitting in front of this garbage you know for hour after hour after hour well their minds are being sort of wrung out is is i find it incredibly disturbing um you know when you know they could be doing something useful um and um yeah well you, you know we have the choice to get away with it from it of course you know i've got the choice to throw away my cell phone and I've got a choice not to go on the internet and do this kind of thing with you now but the thing is you you know the old expression throwing the baby away with the bathwater is that you are actually if you're not if you do just completely say no to it you do miss the opportunity to to feed your message back in and uh, I don't like my phone going off every two minutes you know with stuff I can't be bothered with but it's uh, it's it's this is the way the world is now and it is the way and you have to engage with it I think I do engage with it I always said I'd never have a computer I got a computer you know um I always said I'd never have email I got email and uh and they they are now my my ways to engage with the world and again just as social media has been very important in a negative way over the past year uh, I've been able to use that in a positive way because I'm not out there on the road. I'm not able to sing to people and give my message to people in real life. So um, if I had have thrown away my phone, I had have thrown away my computer or not got in with it in the first place, I wouldn't have been able to make an album saying my position on, on the world and I wouldn't have been able to, to get it out to people either. Yeah, with, with this medium that we're talking on now, podcasting, um, I don't know whether you've done one before or not. I was looking earlier on to see. I couldn't see you on a, on a podcast on any of the podcast apps. Uh, maybe you have done one, and I, I couldn't find it. But what I love about this medium, and I've been you know doing interviews and, and presenting in one lane or another for the last twelve years or so, and I've worked for all like the big rock companies. So I've done like Kerrang, Scars, Metal Hammer, Classic Rock. The only company that I still work with is Vive the Rock because I love Eugene. I think he's a great guy. Um, but I made the conscious decision about four or five years ago to go completely independent. And going back to the, you know, the technology and, and the social media as a platform for getting your voice out there, what podcasting really allows me to do, I imagine in a similar way to you, who's been through bands and labels and done all of those things, is this format can allow me to say anything like talk to anybody about whatever i like for however long i like no restrictions and i can get it out there um there's almost a kind of a punk rock you know diy attitude in there and i would be completely lost without social media and the internet so it's as you say it's like <laughs> you want to be in it but not of it mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that yep and uh yeah the fact we don't have censorship um, you know, is is of course um, incredibly important because even with uh, you know, if, as a musician wanting to get your message across, even in the if you you know got an interview or an article in a in a magazine, then you know you say a bit and you're edited and uh, you end, it ends up not re really being what you're about or what you wanted to say. Um, so the, the fact these sort of things go out completely unedited and in depth and you know, is is also important. Yeah, that's always been my mantra since day one, is no edits. <laughs> Even if it gets awkward, you've got to leave it in and just, you know, have it, have the conversation play as it unfolds. And I love that. Um, there's something just honest and raw and transparent about that. Um, you mentioned Channel 5 a moment ago, Tim. I don't know how you feel about that album now, but for my money, and I haven't heard everything you've done, but I've heard a lot of it, most of it, Channel 5, for me, I think is my favourite record you've ever made. I think there's not a single song on there that lets the side down. I think every single track is just solid gold, and I absolutely love it. I think it's such a great record. Is it one you're happy and proud with? 
Yeah, I love Channel 5, really love it. And uh, um, uh, it's just a shame it's not really not really available, you know, because it got into a, such a mess with uh, with the uh, rights of ownership. You know, it was uh, it was made, um, it was paid for by a, a company that immediately went bankrupt after it was made. So I never got proper release, and then it um, then it, it got a re-release by a kind of dodgy company who never paid me, and I had to stop them producing it. And now the ownership of rights, who owns it, is kind of all very dubious. So it's, it's a real shame. I think it's a little uh, a gem of an album, yeah. And um, it's important for me in so many ways. It was post adverts and post explorers, so I was, you know, I was, I'd know after I'd lost. My labels, my publisher, my manager, who died tragically. Um, so I had no backing whatsoever. I was completely out on a limb, and all I had to do, wanted to do, was write. So I wrote with no restrictions, no kind of um, agenda from myself or from any record company or publisher, no commercial agenda. Uh, just wanted to write and expand what you know what I was writing about. So the song. All the songs are about really interesting and unusual subjects, um, which I really like about it. The arrangements are great. You know, I teamed up with with some really good musicians, Tim Cross on keyboards and Tim Rennick on guitar, who I went on to work with for many years after that. And on a very low budget, we we just you know use ideas to make up for a lack of budget. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was an unusual album. You know, it was a complete flop because you couldn't buy it. Um, it didn't sound like anything else at the time, but uh, it's was, aged incredibly well. It sounds so modern still. This is the weird thing about albums that don't fit in with the time because you don't make them with an agenda of being contemporary. You know, I, I always believe that if you're honest about what you want to do and you make the sound of the album fit the songs, then they're going to last. You know, I think that's why the first album, well, I think that's why all the adverts album still work today better than they did at the time. The second adverts album particularly sounds much better today than it did at the time. People don't have the expectations, you know. You go back and listen to this stuff now, and without the expectations, oh, it's supposed to sound like this. This is what's going on now. It's supposed to sound like that. Why doesn't it sound like that? Oh, it's rubbish. If it doesn't, you know, you, you, you have a clear view of what it's supposed to, you know, what it actually sounds like why it sounds like that, how it fits the songs. Yeah, the Cast of a Thousand is a great about. record as well. I, I love that album. And it's, I mean, it's kind of strange, isn't it, that often it's called the difficult second album for a reason. And, you know, throughout history, it seems like you have a successful first album that everybody loves. And like nine times out of ten, all everybody wants is for you to do the same thing again. Yes. And it's like, oh, well, why would I do that? I've already done it. So then you do something different and then they go, well, it's not the same. And you're like, well, of course it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my aim wasn't to be the Ramones and do and do every album the same as the last one. And and as you say, I had no interest in making the same album again. And it was, it, you know, when people say it's a difficult second album, well, you know, when you break it down, what's difficult is the difficulty that, you don't get it, you know, or, or is the difficulty for me that I can't make a, a good second album? For me, it wasn't difficult. You know, it was an absolute blast making that second adverts album with all the exciting ideas and arrangements and different kinds of songs. Um, you know, I've, I was I was sailing going through that album thinking, well, this is really, you know, breaking the mould, you know, really breaking out from what the first adverts album was. And I admit the mastering was bad, you know, and it, uh, it, it, you know, it did sound a bit weedy. Yeah, well, tough, you know. But, you know, we remastered it later, and it sounded a lot better. But that's not, you know, so what? You know, that that sort of thing is not what makes or breaks an album. It was a bit unfortunate, but the album itself stands up, I think. Well, there's the other side of it is with a community and a scene and a genre like punk, is it's obviously meant to be about you know free creativity and there's no rules there's no restrictions uh, and as we both know throughout history from the birth of punk still to today you have the group of elitists that like to have their checklist and if it doesn't meet all of those points then it's not punk in their eyes and you're like okay um and i guess you guys kind of copped a bit of that flack as many of your contemporaries did but again it's like what you're going to do you're just going to be 
you know, making anarchy in the UK for, forever. <laughs> yeah, well, the Pistols, of course, had the, had the um, great luck of breaking up after one album, so no one was able to judge them on the difficult second album. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's a weird kind of uh, movement that says, yeah, do anything you want, but don't do that. <laughs> what was the impact of the Pistols on that scene at that time? Um, I saw the BBC documentary that they made with you a while back when it first came out, I saw it, and um, you were sort of saying in that, as I've seen many bands say, like The Clash say it in their documentary, Buzzcocks have said it, uh, it seems like they were the catalyst for so much and, and, you know, as much of a hard time as certain members of that band perhaps get today in the public forums and the press and stuff. Well, I guess they've always had shit thrown at them in the press, but were they the band that kickstarted most of that movement in the UK at that time in terms of just like that, they were the initial spark. I would say that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, of course there was other stuff going on. I mean, uh, you know, would you have had? You couldn't have had punk without, without Bowie, without Alice Cooper, without Iggy, without Roxy Music. I don't think you could have had that movement without any of those. Um, but the thing was, in '76, it was the Pistols that were out going doing these little club gigs, and suddenly sparked off the the media interest. You know, that allowed created the uh, the space where that thing could happen and um you know and i'd never seen iggy live and but when i saw the pistols in london in 76 you know i mean i was just i was completely bowled over i thought what an extraordinary front man you know so you know i mean the heavy metal kids had had a little bit of that you know front man it was sneery kind of like anti anti-hero front man but uh, rotten just topped Gary Holton, you know, just like that, really. You know, he he was uh, he was amazing to watch. Um, and the band were great. It was just, they were there. They were a real band. They were right in front of your eyes um, when you saw them live. And, um, and they really made you feel, well, I could do that. You know, I mean, I was already in bands in, in Devon before I moved up to London. But there was no connection. You couldn't get a connection with the audience like that. You know, people weren't up for it. So at a Pistols gig, they were there, right in front of your eyes, people just like us, and uh, the audience were up for it. You know, it was that magic combination, the right thing at the right time, the right band, the right audience. And did the establishment truly hate it? You know, because you see the, the coverage in the press, you know, you see it from today's eyes, and it seems ludicrous that they would be on the front page with the headlines like The Filth and The Fury and, you know, like this is a threat to society. Um, I wonder if you could shed some light on that, on the whole fiasco that the British press made out of not just the Sex Pistols, but the whole punk movement and how they tried to vilify and condemn. And Well, that's what they do. I mean, that's what they do it now, you know, whether it's with, you know, Megan and Harry or... Whoever they set their sights on to to be the new the new uh, targets of outrage, and you know that's the way they work, really. You know, create heroes and villains, and uh, and turn life into a soap opera. That's the way we're drawn into the whole thing. I mean, it, it, the the uh, the um, kind of side effect from from that attitude was that, that punk was was you know was grew wings and flew because uh you know when it doesn't matter as everyone knows whether it's good publicity or bad publicity it's publicity and um and it puts you in the public eye and 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 uh and increases your profile i think you know and that's what uh what allows movements like that to take off um so whether they were saying it was this evil or whether they were saying it was fantastic, it's the same difference in the end. You know, it gave it space to, to, to grow. And um, What I about if it, you're living through it, though? Like, was it not tiresome? And, I don't know, you know what my just... <laughs> <laughs> Was it dangerous? And do you want to fix it or are you good? I'll just get myself back in the yeah. light. No worries. Ooh, there we are. There we go. Yeah, lighting engineer as well <laughs> was i mean was there not a strain on i mean because you guys must have caught a little bit of that controversy 
wave around Gary Gilmore's eyes and what that song was about and when it came out? Like, is it tiresome being in the middle of that storm and tr just trying to live your life and be an artist and a creative and, you know, being accused of all these other things which seem a little bit far removed from what you're actually trying to do? I'm sure it was for the Pistols. I mean, I'm sure it was awful for them, you know, to actually have to be, uh, you know, to be seen as public enemy number one when, you know, all they'd done was a few gigs and, you know, and, and being rude about the Queen, big deal. You know, but society was very, um, very reactionary and, and very backward and conservative in those days. You know, that, you know, it needed the doors kicked down, that's for sure. Because, you know, anyone who gets upset about such such trivial things now seems absurd but that's the way it was in some 1976 you know society was very very narrow-minded um and so you know that made it in a way even more brave what they did just to go up against oh well we're going to do it we're going to we're going to sing these songs and we're going to be this snotty nose band and uh, uh nothing like emerson lake and palmer you know so for me personally, I don't think we didn't really get that kind of reaction. You know, the worst thing was getting the reaction of the, you know, the Teddy Boys who, you know, then insisted on on getting physical and beating me up, for example, when they saw me in the street. That was unfortunate. Yeah, I did my um, university dissertation on Clockwork Orange, and the the writer Alex Burgess was inspired a lot by the sort of the mods and the rockers fights that were going on down in Brighton in the 60s and then later with punk in the 70s he said a lot of that street gang violence that was happening in Britain everywhere was what went into you know the droogs gang violent mentality in that book um and it was it was kind of like taking your life into your own hands at that point by all accounts right occasionally like if you look the wrong way well it was you know you learn you know you did learn to avoid uh, Teddy Boys, that's for sure. You know, at the time I lived in Hammersmith, and there were uh, one of their local pubs was the George, which was meant it was very on Hammersmith Broadway, which means it was very hard to get home and <laughs> avoid them because <laughs> they tend to be gathering around outside. But um, it's just silly, really. It just it's such nonsense. With I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in in a you know kind of in any confrontation with any other group of uh, you know people. But um, they they decided that so they were. You mentioned um, Iggy Pop earlier on, and you said at that stage you hadn't seen him perform live. You obviously later on would go on tour with Iggy, though, right? Uh, how how was that? Were you a big fan of his before the tour? And, and tell me about watching him. And did you like learn anything specific from from that tour with him, or take anything you know specific away from it? Um, I can't say I took anything specific away from it. I mean, I've you know I loved Iggy before, and uh, and uh, I, I very much enjoyed the, the three or four gigs we did with him. He was in a very good period. I think he cleaned up, and um, and he had a, a terrific band, and he was really peaking, of course, with the with the Lost for Life and the Idiot. You know, terrific songs, a lot of influence from Bowie and. He took it. Uh, he took it on stage and and really, really did it. So a fantastic honour to to be part of that uh, part of that whole thing to go on and support him. And was he a cool guy? Was he nice? Uh, I didn't meet him really. No, not really. Seemed fine. Yeah, he, he did come in and introduce himself into the dress into our dressing room at one point, but I wasn't there. Ships of the night. <laughs> Tell me about the Explorers record. That's another one. I think right after uh, Channel Five, it's probably along with. I mean, those basically for me, it's like the first two adverts records. The Explorers record and Channel Five are just like top tier. Um, all just such amazing quality material. Um, that record again, it seems like you were expanding and taking the template that you'd already you know began with and you know just evolving it even more do you have fond memories of of making that album and, and are you again like with the benefit of hindsight happy with the way it turned out and how it holds up yeah very happy with it yeah and I enjoyed making it very much again it was felt a very creative thing it was a long time in the in the uh in the in the building really because uh after after the adverts there was a couple of 
lineup changes. I had Tim Cross straight into the Explorers at the beginning, and we had a very nice kind of setup with that. I had John Towin, who was in briefly in the adverts, and we had a fairly solid kind of uh, lineup with uh, those two and Colin Stoner and um, Eric Russell on guitar. But then Tim Cross got called away on a Mike Oldfield tour. Um, John Tower decided he didn't want to, to do the, the being a permanent band and moved to France, I think. Um, so we kind of got the, the band set and demoed it and everything. And then there was a lineup change. So that was quite disturbing. You know, it was like just a lot of work to rethink and have work in a different keyboard player and a different style of drummer. And so then we had to kind of build up again. But by the time we we got into the studio with it, we were pretty tight. And, um, and uh, yeah, as I say, a nice creative protest. We had nice studios. We had, you know, we were put into um, Island Studios and uh, Britannia Row. Um, so we had great sound, great engineers. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good experience. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's something so unique about your sense of melody, particularly with those early albums. Um, where were you drawing from as, as a... As a songwriter, and uh, we'll perhaps get into some more of the the lyrical themes in a bit as well, if that's right. But just in terms of like song structure and melody, um, did you have any like big heroes or influences when you were finding your own voice that perhaps fed into the you know very distinct sound which you created? Well, I, I mean, I do like to think that I you know I, I don't have influences because the whole thing is to be original. But what I have which always is why it is. Well, I've always loved melody. That's the thing. You know, I've always loved melody and I've always loved lyrics. And um, so, yes, as I've, as I've already said, I loved Bowie when I was a kid. You know, I loved the Beatles when I was a kid. Um, um, and I love Roxy and I love pop music and I, I love quite a few um, sort of prog bands as well. You know, I had a Yes record and... and um, moody blues and you know i had all, all sorts of records i love music but it had to have a melody it had to have 
you know, so I mean, I would, when I'd stop listening to the record, I could sing along, you know, I could sing it in my head. And um, so I would say it's just a conglomeration of all those kind of bands that I was listening to. And as I say, I always thought, well, don't copy, try and be your own, your own, uh, your own songwriter. I think that if I was going to say anything uh, that was an influence, if you hear my band before the adverts, Sleaze, which I which I made an album when I was still living in Torquay, going to art college, I had a, a, a band at art college, and we pressed up fifty copies of, a, of of our record then, which I've written all the songs for. I mean, it's very very kind of Steve Harley, Cockney Rebelish. I've got to say. Um, Did you say you print, printed fifty records? Wow, yeah. and and are they out there? Do you ever come? Do you ever get people coming to your shows with one to sign? Never happened. No, they've no. got to be out there somewhere, though, right? They're out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. I did actually get have a repress of a few hundred in uh, an American label. Put them out. Uh, put it out again a, a couple of years ago. I was most surprised when they came to me and asked to to release it. Um, and it's that's actually stood up the test of time as well. I actually. I've been it's been kind of my guilty secret for many years, but I really like it now. It's only got it's a like a full album. It's only got six tracks on it. It's very it's kind of like a mix between prog and uh, and glam rock. It's quite it's quite interesting, but it is quite derivative and it is quite long winded and self indulgent. Um, but one of the tracks I then re- adapted and it and it went on the first adverts album. So it's all it is all, all a kind of progress process and a progress. What's interesting to me about your work is whatever the musical template is, um, and there's been you know a lot of variety in that sense over the years, you can kind of always tell it's you from the, the melody and the voice. You have a very distinct original sound, and you've explored many different musical terrains over the years, but there's always this sense that it's you in there um and i really enjoy that like that's what drew me first to the adverts when i first heard them was your distinct voice the distinct vocal attack which is very like rhythmic and punchy as well like it's quite an aggressive kick did you have singers or vocalists or you know performers that you looked to as as you know being inspirational in any way no not really but i think that um that uh, approach to singing developed out the fact I always, you know, I always wrote on acoustic guitar. So the vocal always had to provide the percussion, really, the percussion and the rhythm. You always had to hit that. Um, I think uh, vocalists and songwriters who write with a band in the rehearsal room, with a band, they approach it in a different way. But I had to... I've only ever written with an acoustic guitar from adverts onwards, and um, I think that does mean you, in somehow in your head, you're providing all that stuff. You know, mm. the drums are coming in when you're when you're thinking the word and the power of the words and the and the way and the way they're going to explode out. Was it quite easy for you then when you did go out and just start playing shows on an acoustic guitar, doing it solo after many years of being in a band that obviously was like a totally seamless, not even a transition, just. I'll just cut out the middleman and get out there, plug in, go. Well, it was very difficult at first because I'd become so used to having a band behind me, and it was very, it was a very scary experience walking out on to the stage on your own. I mean, terrifying. But uh, no distortion to hide behind either, or volume, yeah, whatsoever. That's that's the thing. You don't you don't even realise you're hiding when you when you when you sing with a band, um, but you are. Um, but when you're on your own with the guitar, there is there is no hiding place. You know, you've got to be you've got to be a hundred percent. You've got to be a hundred percent there, not just you know in the way you play, but mentally and you know the way you connect with the audience. You have to be absolutely fully there, and that becomes it becomes almost like a sort of kind of uh, Zen challenge, you know, to 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 be there uh, for the audience and and still keep all the songs in mind and, and present it in a in a way that works live like a you know like this podcast There's, there is no you know you can't erase it and go back when you make a mistake you have to embrace if you make a mistake you embrace a mistake and that's it and you carry on 
Yeah, I love that. I always used to think it's the one thing that we'll never replicate or download, right, is the live show. And then last year happens and everybody's streaming and you go, fuck, that was the one thing that I thought we couldn't. Uh, obviously, it'll never be the same. You know, it's not the same as being in a room um, and, and having the audience there with you to, you know, connect with and vibe off. But um, yeah, it's the last, I think, area of creativity that is pure Um you know the streaming and the download revolution kind of killed the record business uh but hopefully when the the rona is over um live shows will continue to be i mean for people like you they must be the bread and butter of your life right yeah absolutely well i have got you know i've i've uh i've really it's another one of those things like like uh getting a computer or a mobile phone i was i thought i'd never do a streaming show but uh, as I've done more and more of them, I've, I actually find that there is a kind of interesting buzz to doing a streaming show, and there are possibilities about live streaming that that aren't available at a live gig. There are bo- bonuses and positives to that too. You know, once well, you again, can reach anybody in the world, can't you? That's one you thing. There's no cap. The There's one for a start. You know, people who can't get out to to live shows for whatever reason. Um, uh, you have a global audience, not a local audience. Um, you do it live, so any mistakes stay in. You know, there you go. You, so you're, you're walking that tightrope again. Um, and also, I found that the um, the choice of songs can be very interesting as well. I mean, I've been doing a, a live stream over the past eight weeks, and uh, not and decided at the start not to play the same song twice. So over the course of eight weeks, I've been I've really trawled my back catalogue and played you know 160 songs, you know of which probably 120 would never have, I would never approach a, a live gig because you know at a live gig you do your you do your 60 minutes or your 90 minutes of and you choose the best stuff that's you know or the, or the most popular stuff you know yeah the people are coming and they expect to hear you know there's a certain five let's say that they yep. would be disappointed if they didn't get. Absolutely, those are the ones you have to play, and then there's another five or ten that they also will be expecting to hear. Yeah, and um, you know, I jiggle them around a bit, and I put in the odd one that you know that, that you're not expecting, but nevertheless, journeying through the, the 150 songs I wouldn't normally play, has been a really interesting, you know, and to hit the stuff from Channel Five that I wouldn't um, that I wouldn't normally play live, it's been great to revisit them. Which songs from that record do you have a tendency to perform live? None. Really? Mm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Every time we mention Channel 5, it seems to... Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, I don't the ghost talk- in the machine. I don't want to be talking to you in the dark. Well, I don't know what's... <laughs> Work for me, baby. Come on. I can't believe you don't play any. Why is that? Is that just because people you think aren't familiar with the record or uh they're not familiar with the record and they're and actually quite difficult to it's quite difficult to play live as well i mean they're quite uh com- complex songs um and yeah basically just because most people don't know the record you know it's been very hard to get hold of and uh and uh i'll try and get this working for you because i don't want no to worries. That's one thing you've got to learn about podcasts is you, you, you have to light yourself as well. <laughs> I have a nightmare. I just, I mean, the lighting in this room is not what you'd call professional, but as well, long as you can see me, I don't really, well, I don't really mind. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so is there any way that you could somehow get back the songs from that album and re-record them? Is there any way you could reclaim ownership? I could reclaim ownership, but the whole joy of the album is really the arrangements. I think with the, uh, you know, with uh, with Tim, the two Tims, Tim Cross and Tim Rennick, was a really magical kind of combination of talents coming together. Um, I think that's what gives it its real taste and, and atmosphere. Um, Have they both passed on? Uh, Tim Cross has passed on. Yeah, my collaborator from many years. And I don't think you can really capture recapture the moment. You know, it was something very special when that album, like I say, um, 
yeah, I mean, yeah, when it's gone, it's gone. I move on. Are you not somebody who looks back? Uh, not really. No, I mean, it's it's. I, I like I like just getting on. Yeah, <laughs> getting on the stuff to do. Well, I mean, as I, you I, said uh, yourself, life short. Don't make a mess of it, right? Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do like. I mean, as I say, also say, I've enjoyed. I've I've enjoyed looking looking back to these live streams and revisiting some of those songs and. Uh, um, I did do an, an album of uh, uh, of songs, just acoustically acoustic sessions, volume one, and that, as the title so cunningly suggests, I hope there will be a volume two, and you know I can revisit some of these uh, these songs just as, in a, an acoustic style, solo acoustic style, uh, in the future on however many um, acoustic sessions albums I care to make in the future. You you mentioned there you're not somebody who looks back. I want to just see if uh, you can maybe change your mind on that from this last year uh, and the streaming shows you've done. Um, obviously, in this time, I think a lot of people have been reflecting and, you know, without the distractions of travel and, and shows and things like this, you, you do tend to go in, I think, and you've been revisiting songs from the past. Was there any that you played and were really taken back to a specific time and place in your life? And, and was there any memories that you know really surprised you that perhaps you'd either forgotten about or were just really brought home in quite a, a beautiful way did you have any moments like that over the course of the streaming gigs that you did um i wouldn't say specific moments of that but the weird thing is it does bring you emotionally back to when you know when you revisit these old songs it does bring you emotionally kind of into that era into that period when you did them so yeah it's been it's actually been quite you know it's, <laughs> someone mentioned channel five <laughs> one night i played the song from channel five coming round ding out <laughs> funny i don't know i don't know what's going on i there. hope your light doesn't go out like this when you're doing your live shows your streams tim oh it hasn't now but it's got me worried <laughs> just the curse of this show then it must be <laughs> it's got me worried that that's what's going to happen so it's good to do the checkout with you that's it yeah i'm, I'm your test run <laughs> for tonight's show how regular have you been doing those um i've done i did eight eight in a row eight weeks in a row and um and uh and i've done a couple before and i kind of done a couple of zoom shows as well i think what i'm going to do is i'm just going to open the blind in this uh no in worries and this, this let the daylight in which is going to be a bit um Gonna be a bit variable, but at least it's all good. Well, the the video doesn't actually go out anywhere. I just do them over Zoom because I like to see the the guest. It's just oh, is that, that right? Yeah, oh. it's, it's only an audio show, so oh, okay. well, you don't I'm need to look a million bucks. In that case, people will know will not know what on earth we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you were saying that there's certain thing there's certain places it was taking you in your head over the course of of the the shows where you were taken back to the memories the the emotions yeah i mean i, I mean i guess like doing the sleeve stuff for the pre-advert stuff was particularly kind of weird you know because they're quite quite doomy teenage angst kind of songs and uh and i find myself getting back into a doomy teenage angst kind of uh kind of uh, uh mentality when i'm playing and we're quite keen to get away from them actually <laughs> Music's mad like that, isn't it? Like it, it really does alter and affect your mood so profoundly. Yeah. Uh, and and because I'm very much like yourself, which I think is why I'm particularly drawn to your music. I'm not a musician, so I can appreciate structure and arrangements and chords and things like that to some extent. But I'm really all about the melody and the lyrics. That's where I get that connection to, to the music from. And it has such, I mean, every day for the last four months, every day without fail i've gone out for a sort of two-hour walk in the middle of the day and i'll listen to like three or four albums in that time and depending on what style of music i listen to it will really shape the mood of the walk and i've always been aware that obviously music does affect us in that way but it's really been brought home to me this year just how much a specific song or turn of phrase even within the song can mm -hmm. alter your state of mind yeah for better or sometimes worse <laughs> actually when, when i'm in a writing phase myself i never listen to any other music uh because it is so powerful that i don't want you know other people's creativity sort of um, um inadvertently leaching into mine 
So I I basically shut down and don't listen to anything. In fact, I don't listen to very much anyway for that reason, because I'd rather be writing something than listening to something generally. You're a tabla rossa. I am a tabla Well, there's no need to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> what about writers um, and, you know, thinkers and and poets and, you know, people outside of music that have perhaps shaped your worldview or inspired you to go down certain avenues when, you know, exploring subjects and and you know words um i'd love to get inside your creative mind a little bit in that sense if you don't mind opening it up um well it's kind of it's the old like what are your influences question you know and it's uh, it's going to be the old you know i don't really have any influences answer i'm afraid i don't uh, you know i've rigorously tried not to be influenced by, by anyone when i'm when i'm writing you know there's I'm sure there are plenty of musicians and plenty of writers and plenty of philosophers I've read and, you know, possibly I could even think of some if I put my mind to it, but, I, you know, I don't I, I don't know what I can say would be, you know, would, be, would have been a major influence on me. Well, that's just as interesting an answer, and it really is just pure, raw, uh, coming from, from you. So you're just reacting to the world around you. That's what I try and do, Matt. Um, that was a, that was for the audio-only listeners. That was the sound of me opening the blinds. So I'm not. <laughs> Tell me about your tour with uh, with my good friend Casey Chaos, who is a a man who has many reputations. Um, I adore him. He's been nothing but gold to me in my life. Uh, I've been out to Los Angeles many times over the years, and he's taken me around town and you know, just shown me so much hospitality and generosity. I know he's a student and a disciple of the school of the adverts. He absolutely adores your band and you as a songwriter. Uh, I guess it was like mid 2000s. Amen. Took you out on tour, right? Um, I did do a couple of dates with, uh, with Amen. Yeah. Um, how were they? Um, it was it was kind of weird. I mean, he was so it was not an audience that I thought would really fit what I did, but he was so um, <laughs> he'd come on, introduce me, and and he'd virtually demand the audience like what I did. So it was kind of it was kind of nice, you know. It was good, it was nice to play to new people as well who wouldn't have come to see me otherwise. I mean, it's only a couple of dates, but um, was it in the UK or the US? It was in the UK. UK. Um. Yeah, but I haven't heard from Casey for ages. He's certainly a man who lives up to his name of chaos. Um, and um, but how do you know how he's doing? Is he okay? Last time I saw and spoke to him, he was doing great. I mean, he's eternally working on what will become hopefully one day a new Amen album. He's been working on it for so many years now well, with so yeah, many what... different drummers. And uh, I think Ross Robinson's been producing most, if not all of it, with him. Um, I haven't spoke to him since the coronavirus hit. I know he's alive and well because uh, our mutual friend um, had a birthday party recently and he was there. But I haven't spoken to him since all of this hit. But I think something like this isn't going to really affect someone like Casey anyway because he's so off the grid and yeah. <laughs> in yeah, his yeah. own little universe but by all accounts the last time we spoke he's just on fire creatively writing every day recording every day and just being casey running around town spending yeah. all his money on punk records in amoeba and <laughs> loving life he's good but yeah he he talks so fondly about the times he spent with both the damned and yourself um you know they're kind of like his life highlights in many ways because he just loves yeah, uk punk so much Came over and did the uh, did the damned album live at the Hundred Club, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, that was that was the I think the best show of his life. He said he absolutely loved it. How mm. were your shows with the Dam back in the day? I love that poster. I know it's kind of the thing of of punk law now, but the old uh, adverts no one chord, Dam no three, come to your four at. Yeah, very Brilliant. funny. Were they very good guys back then? Yeah, we got them fine. Yeah, the Damned are. You know, I loved I loved that. Uh, that first album, I love, you know, the songs that Brian wrote for it. And, uh, you know, I love that classic lineup. So, uh, and uh, they were on fire, summer of 77. The adverts were on fire. The audience were on fire. You know, it was it was a, a match made in heaven, really, those three, those three uh, 
pieces put together, sort of slammed together in in the summer of punk, and uh, yeah, so very a very intense and, and memorable few weeks. Well, you get down to their shows. Obviously, they were going to be performing as the original four last year. Uh, hopefully, it will now happen this year. Is that a show you'd like to get down and see, or are you kind of not really interested in the reunion? anniversary approach to you know classic lineups and bands because there's a lot of that now it seems like that's all there is is like here's the anniversary tour here's the original lineup back together tour are you into any of that stuff um i'm not particularly myself into it um i'm you know i mean i don't you know obviously for my own part an adverts reunion or anything like that is would not be something i would ever do um my Kind of interest is like to I occasionally do an advert set with with my band from occasional band from Spain, the Bored Teenagers, and um, that's kind of the nearest I get to to uh, you know the kind of reunion vibe. Um, you know, I did the Crossing the Red Sea album with them on my fiftieth birthday. Was it my fifty first? I can't remember. But you know, I'm now coming up to to. In a in a few weeks, on a couple of weeks, I'm going to be sixty five. I think. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, so I kind of have been uh, kind of doing that for a while in my own way. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you spoke to Gail? Do you still ever talk to each other? Or I haven't really spoke to her since I moved away. No. no. Do you? Yeah, I presume you haven't played with her for many, many, many years. Well, she put down the bass guitar at the end of the band and, and never picked it up again. And um, and the drummer moved away to Iceland and uh, and uh, the guitarist, uh, Howard, uh, died from a brain tumour. So it's not a band that is about to reform or, you know, <laughs> definitively won't reform. This new record that you put out uh, last year, uh, there's a couple of songs in there which I would love to just kind of explore and discuss a little bit with you artificial flowers being one um because i'm having thoughts a lot like what you address in that song the more and more time goes on with going back to where we're you know perhaps starting the conversation out we'll bring it full circle towards the end but it just feels like in recent times we're losing so much of what makes life worth living (laughs) i know that sounds very melodramatic but it just feels like we've lost so much and we've lost our way so much and there's so much insincerity and phoniness and division and and I just kind of, you know, I'll sometimes go online to message a friend or something and we'll just see, you know, bullshit everywhere. And that song, you know, there's a couple of songs on the album which I think explore these things, but I wonder if you could shed some some light on your thoughts on where where we're at as you know humanity in 2021 what we've lost what we could be doing more of and what we could be doing better well i'd like to see more authenticity and more you know genuine kind of attitudes and discussion and emotion and i feel i do feel it's been subtly replaced by by the fake and and the shallow and the false and it's being slipped under our under our eyes without us even noticing it. You know, we think we're looking at the real scenery, and in fact, we're just looking at uh, you know at a stage set. And uh, you know that bothers me because we're losing the the danger is that we lose our uh, ability to distinguish between what's real and what's not. You know, and uh, and at that point, um, you know, life really isn't worth living because you are just becoming a, a kind of cog in their machine. And uh, I think it's something we really have to guard against. We have to keep on, you know, keep smelling the flowers for God's sake, you know, and uh, and uh, get get off social media, get off, get out from behind the computer, and and you know, as soon as you can, meet your friends. Uh, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of theories that um, this is this whole Corona thing is a conspiracy to to keep us isolated. Um, I don't think it is, and I think as soon as we can get out and about, we've got to make sure we do, and we try and get back the values, you know, the humanity and the warmth of uh, real social interaction that we had before all this started. 
amen to all of that and i do feel as well like we're more divided at the moment as a you know certainly in the uk i've got a lot of friends stateside you would say even more so over there i can't speak for you know other parts of the world but going on the references that i know the us and the uk seems like both nations are so divided at the moment politically socially uh, everything and you know we just need to as you say i think get back out there and find that common ground that middle ground start from there and start trying to build some bridges because you know the name calling and the mud throwing isn't going to get us as people anywhere is it it's just going to allow those up there to continue well, to consolidate yeah. and I mean, it's, it's absurd every question you know whether it's brexit or the conservatives or labor or you know republicans or democrats everything is coming down more or less 50 50 so it's like all one against the other absolute confrontation and uh it just doesn't seem to be you know any kind of any kind of compromise or bridge building as you say and it, you know just both sides get irate with each other and it just turns life becomes just a phony war the whole mm -hmm. time yeah, there's a lot of online social justice warriors that are just trying to score more brownie points than those around them now, isn't it? That what That's what a lot of it's become. Rather yeah. than real change, it's yeah. just like, let's get on the internet and just, you know, look at look at how great I am, everybody. Look at me over here. Oh, he said something I don't like. He's cancelled. And you're like, oh, no, let's have a conversation here. Let's find some common ground. Yeah. The, the real, you know, one of the real dangers of this last year has been that... Uh, it's been a fantastic platform for the me, me, me generation on the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, personally, I can't wait for that to stop, you know. Do you think alternative culture and alternative thinking still exists? You've got a song called Join the Mainstream on the album. And I very much come from, you know, you were the punk generation. I was very much the 90s alternative rock generation. There's a lot of parallels between those two artistically, musically, politically. Um, and now it seems like alternative just means, oh, I've got blue hair. It's nothing to do with the way people think or feel. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that as, as we approach the end. Do you think that alternative culture still exists in 2021? My feelings about alternative is very much like my feelings uh about punk which is if you say you are you're not you know if you have to put that title on yourself you you know you're not the end the, the point is not to be a punk the point is to be a good musician to be true to be you know to express yourself you know if you the point about alternative is not to be alternative you know it, alternative is irrelevant that, you know, again, the answer is to be true and to express yourself and to say what you believe. But, the, you know, it's alternative to what, you know, a lot of these people... The mainstream. Claim, claim to be alternative. I mean, the thing is, the people out on the streets protesting against, you know, the poor deers having to be stay at home, you know, so they don't kill their granny with coronavirus. You know, the people protesting against uh, Trump being booted out, you know, once that was my... That, that was my, I was aspiring to be out in the streets protesting, but I'm not going to go out in the streets and protest against those stupid things. You know, they're saying they're alternative. Well, you're not. You're the mainstream by being such an idiot. You know, so the, 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 uh, the, the title alternative has no meaning if you're just going along, you know, with the common crowd, you know, with, with un, un, uh, untested kind of ideas that have been fed to you you know that's why we're in this mess because people are just accepting ideas fed to them you know if you're a real alternative you're going to use your own mind and make your own judgment not just have have mainstream ideas fed to you and in the disguise of being alternative hell yeah i can get behind that tim um i want to thank you first of all for this great conversation i hope it's been all right for you um i want to thank you mainly and firstly for just the the wealth of music you've given the world um it's been the soundtrack to many a good time in my life and uh i i cherish those those you know first four records that i said earlier i need to get more into your 90s period the thing that i love about doing this show is when i talk to people i try and 
you know, absorb myself into their world as much as possible in, in the lead up to the conversation. Uh, and in doing so, I get to discover loads of albums that I've, you know, overlooked for all these years. So I'm going to go in on the, uh, the 90s solo period next, which I'm very excited about. There's certainly a lot out there, Matt. So, yeah. There is. There's a, there's a lot. And, and the new album's fantastic as well. And the, the song Lucky Ones that starts off the album, let's end there because this has been a difficult, strange year. Um, but the, the things you allude to in that song, it's kind of where I'm at spiritually, personally, at the moment. I feel like in the time that I've had off from touring and DJing and being out there hustling and earning like I usually do, I've had a lot of time to take stock and think about life. And I do feel gratitude and humility for so much. And that's exactly where I am. Um, is that sort of what you were suggesting with that song as you lead off into the album is, you know, those of us that are here actually do have a lot to be grateful for. I mean, uh, you know, I was hit by, by coronavirus. I had uh, 50 gigs cancelled, um, including some of the biggest ones I'd ever done in my life. But when I got out of bed, you know, could finally get back on my bed, out of bed and stand up and look at myself and see where I was. Well, I was alive, you know, and already that's, you know, that's point one, you know. And from that point on, uh, you know, I've got a chance to build. I've got things to be positive about. You know, I wrote an album. I recorded an album. You know, I wasn't in some refugee camp, you know, with where no one cared about me, where I couldn't get any water and, and you know, could be ill or dying. You know, whatever you do, if you look at where you are and where you stand, you're lucky. Yeah, if you start the day alive, that's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? Tim, thanks so much, mate. If people want to buy your music, check out what you're up to, support you, come see a show when they're a thing again, where is the best place for them to go? On the wonderful World Wide Web. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, um and um, I'm on the uh the awful facebook um which does seem to be the you know the best place to for things to happen that's where i do the live live streams when i do them so uh tv smith and tim smith two different sites um i'm sure you can find me you know it's amazing the way google works i always say that when people say to me how do i listen to your show or i go whatever question you have just google it and the same applies but you just want it we want to lead them right to the door tim make it as easy as possible <laughs> Um, I hope to see you at Rebellion if that goes ahead and, and, and you're there as planned. And uh, yeah, I do, whenever the opportunity arises, I do hope to see you at a show in the real world and, and shake your hand and, and say thanks in person. But thanks for a great chat, Tim. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Nice to chat with you.